RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Oh, sure. I take a week off, and all of you thought I'd lose my way back to the studio, but here I am. It's Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. That means it's Mission Log Live time. And I'm John Champion. And I'm Josh Kurz. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, wait a minute. The Josh Kurz, co-host and producer of Shabam, right here on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. The one and the same, appearing tonight as guest host on Mission Log Live. Thank you for that. And uh, we're going to do what we do on Tuesday, which means talking Trek. And tonight... We are glad to welcome our special guest, Dr. Aaron McDonald, who is a PhD astrophysicist and science consultant to the entertainment industry. Aaron is a font of knowledge, and here's where you come in. You get to ask her questions, share your comments, and be a part of the conversation. I want to know what would happen to your body in a black hole? Ask her. You want to know if you really die by going through a transporter? Ask her that. Definitely ask her that. Click on the Zoom meeting link, use the one tap from your smartphone, or call us at 669-900-6833. That number again is 669-900-6833. I'm thinking, I, you know, with Aaron here, I also want to talk about uh, food in space, uh, cocktails in space, uh, jazz in space. These are the things that are important to me, <laughs> and uh, I feel like Aaron can address them all. So uh, as Josh said, you give us a call or you click on the Zoom meeting link. You do what you got to do. Earl is standing by. He so badly wants to talk to you. And then you talk to us. Now, Josh, there is a thing that we do on this show. We say hello hmm. to our Star Trek pals. So right. I, I, I don't know uh, how much of Mission Log lore you know, but the whole idea is that you know, uh, we talk about Star Trek. Our listeners are talking about Star Trek. We don't always get to talk together about Star Trek, but they're our Star Trek pals. They're part of the conversation. We are their pals. They are our pals. So we're going to say hi to the Star Trek pals who are right right now in the uh, conversation. We got Ron, we got Chris, we got Casey, uh, we got Carlos. uh, David saying specifically, hello, John and Josh, and welcome to Josh. Uh, We got Carlos saying cross-circuit to be. Very good, Carlos. Uh, we got Karen, we got Chuck, we got Barry. Uh, we got, oh, Carlos also saying, shabam. So, shabam. Yeah, nice. Directed directly you. at you. Yeah. Uh, we got Scott Palm. We got uh, Peter and uh, Alan. Wait, wait a minute. Alan says no need for jazz in space. Oh, I disagree, Alan. There is always a need for jazz, especially yeah, come on. in space. Yeah. Um, Rick, Pam, nice to see everybody. And since you're here and you just heard us do our thing, now you have to do your thing, which is you pick up the phone and you call 699-900-6833, or you click on the Zoom meeting link. And then in an instant, you're talking to Earl. And a few instants later, you're talking to us and Aaron. And that will be fun. So um, before we introduce Aaron, and before we get into the rest of the show, uh, we do want to say a few things about what is coming up and sort of the business of uh, Mission Log and uh, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. So, Rod, uh, you may have heard of him, Josh. Rod Roddenberry? Uh, I think so. Yeah, I think I've, uh, I think, yeah, that there's, a, there's, a, there's a network yeah, he, that we're he's on. A, he's a guy. 
they, <laughs> they, they do things. Yeah. Uh, so Rod will actually be in Sansar on Thursday night, December 5th at 7 p.m. Get your free account there, sansar.com. And uh, I, I, I've been teasing this for so long, and I'm so sorry because there are details that have to come together before I can give the full announcement. But we are planning a special Star Trek The Motion Picture 40th anniversary event in Sansar. Has to do with guests and guest availability, uh, but it'll be uh, it'll be a chance for you to talk to. It looks like, and I oh I oh, I shouldn't say it, but somebody who who worked a, a little uh, nearby on that movie. So I I will say no more. I will say no more. Uh, but just please keep an eye out for it. I'll post it on the uh, Facebook site, facebook.com slash mission log pod. We'll we'll get the word out. Sansar got the word out. So now is your chance. Go to sansar.com. If you're uh, running Windows 7 or above on your computer, get your free account there. You can either do it in VR or in desktop mode. And um, I, I don't have a segue for this, so I apologize. There is a, a piece of news, a piece of business that uh, we're going to talk about just a little bit later in the show. Uh, but this morning, a lot of us uh, got the news that we lost a member of the Star Trek family and a very important and um, just a strong personality. We, we lost Dorothy Fontana, uh, DC Fontana. You may remember that she wrote some episodes under the name Michael Richards. Um, but she contributed so much to Star Trek Going back to uh, even pre-Star Trek, she was Gene's assistant, then she was story editor on the original series. Uh, her scripts uh, are among some of the finest that were ever written. Uh, she wrote the pilot for Star Trek The Next Generation. There is so much that is attributed to her. And um, we do have another guest we're going to bring in in a few minutes to, uh, to talk about that as well. Uh, so we're just going to shelve that for a second, but I want to let people know because they're asking, uh, if we're going to acknowledge that and yes, absolutely. And, uh, if you want to call in and talk about DC as well, please do. It was a shock to, uh, to a lot of us. Yeah. Um, now before we introduce our guest, we also like to ask our listeners a poll question. A couple of weeks ago before the Thanksgiving break, uh, we were talking about the latest uh, Star Trek short, Ask Not. And in that one, uh, it, was a, it was a little bit thing going on with Cadet Sidhu. And we asked, whose psych test was scarier? Was it Cadet Sidhu or was it Wesley Crusher? Who got the worst psych test? 53% of you said Cadet Sidhu. 47% of you said Wesley Crusher. Now, here's the thing. I, I still think either way, it's psychological torture. Um, and I do think that somebody, some twisted individual at Starfleet looked at Wesley and, and was like, uh, you know what? He, he lost his dad. Let's recreate that for him. And he has to make the same choice. It's sick. It's twisted. It's, uh, it's sadistic. I don't get it. But that's what happened. So 53% of you thought that uh, Cadet Sidhu had a tougher time in her psych test. Now, this week, Josh, you posed a question in honor of our guest. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> my question is, do you think that most people get their science information from TV and movies? Mm. Yes or no? Now, now, specifically, though, you mean you're asking our listeners, do they think that 
other people or most people in yeah. general are yeah. getting their science info. Yeah, when, when yeah. you think about, you know, the, the general knowledge of, of science um, that people have, do, are they getting that from uh, movies and TV or are they getting that from, you know, reading about the topics that they're interested in? Um, so that that's the question because you know in a lot of ways and this isn't this isn't a a knock on people who get their information from tv it's just like there's a lot of things that happen in tv and movies that only happen in tv and movies that uh we just wouldn't experience if we didn't see a scripted version of them so you can't really blame people for getting what they think of certain things from movies so right anyway that's the question and then i guess the question then becomes well is that a good thing or is it a bad thing because even if the information might be incorrect I would say if it's sparking an interest, that's probably a good thing. And our guests will be able to elucidate and illuminate on that a bit as we talk to her. Now, a full 77% of you said yes. You think most people are probably getting their information are about science from TV and movies. 23% of you said no. Um, yeah, I, I think that's probably about accurate for the yes. population at large. Yeah. And this is why I and other science communicators believe that you should make science accurate in movies. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that is the, uh, that is the uh, bone we have to pick. <laughs> and I would say that a full 100% of you should be listening to uh, Shabam to get a little oh. more science information. Thank you, John. And, yes. and 105% of you should meet our guests. Yes. Dr. Aaron McDonald, speaking of bringing science to science fiction and entertainment. Dr. Aaron McDonald, PhD, or uh, as it's pronounced, I believe. <laughs> uh, she is an astrophysicist. She is a consultant to the entertainment industry in film and television. She's an advocate for STEM. And uh, honestly, who shouldn't be? Everybody should be an advocate yes. for STEM education. Um, and now she has a course uh, on the great courses, which is available as an audiobook from audible.com, audible.com, that is, uh, The Science of Sci-Fi. So go check that out. Not, not right now, right now, but after this. Wait, and then after this, yeah. yeah. Then you go check it out. Yeah. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Aaron McDonald. Hi, thank you so much for having me here. And I love the... <laughs> thing <laughs> that's i see look when you hand out your card now you just go, yes hi, i'm dr M. mcdonald <laughs> 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 uh -huh. i legitimately thought i glitched there for a second so that's awesome so it took me a little second to realize what you've done so that was very clever well played <laughs> yeah thank you thank you yeah yep. every now and then i'm good for one now most important most pressing question um any new tattoos that we should be aware of? Yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, well, at least since I was last here, actually, yeah. I think a very significant one is that I got Voyager tattooed. Whoa. Nice. So, Whoa. yeah. I'm glad you asked that question. <laughs> wow. Okay. I, we did not plan that, but no. I'm really glad that I did. Um, uh, so, now, we might have talked about this before, but you have to refresh my memory. Is Voyager your show? Is that your track? Janeway's my captain, and okay. certainly if you list up like all of my top probably 20 episodes, a good portion are going to be Voyager episodes as standalones, but my favorite series is Deep Space Nine. So, um, yeah, that's where wow. that's Wow. Okay. <laughs> Those have a little different feel to them. Very um, different feel, yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. Um, and when you say that some of your top favorite episodes are within Voyager, I'm just, I, I'm curious, uh, not Threshold. No, um, no. 
No. Okay. <laughs> and the people who wrote it say it's terrible. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's yeah. fine. And I actually, I just did a, a video on, on warp drive technology for Star Trek.com and I kind of ragged on threshold a little bit and they actually left it in there. <laughs> no, really? So, <laughs> which I was surprised about, but you know, I was, it, they, it was brilliantly edited. Check it out. It was very, very funny about the, what happens when we go warp 10. <laughs> well, wait, so tell us a little bit about that. So it's a video up at Star Trek.com. <laughs> And it's just purely about warp drive. It, it, so it's speculative, like, can we even get there? Is that a thing we could even possibly do? Yep. And beyond that, what happens if we do? Exactly. And it's just a short, it's just a short video that Star Trek.com posted that basically is me explaining how warp drives work and like what the next steps are for us to be able to get there. Uh, the, I, I'm, it's so funny because I'm so optimistic about us getting warp drive technology and like super really? pessimistic about us getting to Mars. So it's... Wow, really, <laughs> really? Yeah, mm. yeah. Get... I, well, but... I think, yeah, well, so my background is in general relativity. So I did my PhD in gravitational waves, which is literally the motion of space time. And warping space-time is how we get to warp drives. And so I don't know if it's just because I, I know I'm more comfortable with it or, or what it is, but I'm certainly a proponent for us getting to warp Because we became scientists so we could join Starfleet. And we can't join Starfleet unless the Vulcans come. And the Vulcans aren't going to come until we get warp technologies. <laughs> don't we have to put bases on the other planets first? And put, don't they have, like, there's a lot of stuff we got to do. They got to get the solar system ready for the... For the you know, when they do come, you know, that's in theory. Like... Yeah. <laughs> so you think we'd get to, you think we'd get to warp drive before getting someone on Mars? Not, no, I do not want to go on record to say that, <laughs> but I think um, it's when we ask about like what's needed for warp drive, I get very excited about it. And I think because it is so far out there, like, and because we just made this huge discovery in detecting space time itself, that that is one step closer. So it does feel like it's a little bit closer, but Mars feels really close, but there's still a lot of technology that we have to figure out that we haven't figured out yet. You know, the, the rockets are one thing, but like the radiation is another thing. So I guess it's one of those that, what do we get? Yeah, so I have to boost everyone on one side and I have to bring everyone back down to reality on another side. So wait a minute, I, I want to stick on this warp drive thing here for a minute. Um, and maybe it's yeah. the LA traffic thing that just has me always thinking about how can we possibly go faster? Let's build trains, please. Um, but now warp drive, if I understand correctly, the, there's sort of two competing ideas here. And one is you get a thing that goes really, really fast but once you go past the speed of light, well, just all hell breaks loose because you, you're, you're messing with relativity and then you're aging slower than everything around you. And th this getting is heavier. Yeah, yeah, you get heavier. This is a problem. This is all definitely a problem. The other approach is you bend space time to come to you. So you're creating a warp field. Well, let's just call it that because it's sort a Star of. Trek thing. So, yeah. okay. All right. Please all right, help I'm gonna, us. Help I'm going to science there. this. No, no okay, worries. science it. So yeah. the, the, two, the two things you were talking about, one is, is like special relativity. So that's talking about as you start to go faster and faster and faster, weird things happen. And that is like physics does account for that. That's even before you get to the speed of light. And it just has to do with um, 
things that we call, it's called time dilation or Lorentzian dilation. And those are, that's the twin paradox where if you leave, your twin stays on earth, you fly, eight years will pass for you, 10 years will pass for your twin and you're no longer the same age. All of that is actually like within the realm of physics. It's just as distances and time start to shift as you move faster and faster within normal space time. So a rocket ship booking it, not breaking any physics, just going very fast that we don't have the technology to do now, but we in theory could. Um, The warp technology on the other side, that is using the principle of general relativity, which is the bending of space time. So what Einstein did with general relativity said, okay, we have this trampoline of space time. What happens when you put mass onto it and it dips down? That's the bowling ball on the trampoline that I think a lot of people are familiar with. And it's hard to travel through space time quickly when you have a lot of mass. The less mass you have, the less you're dipping it down. So it's easier to go faster and faster. And when you have no mass, you travel at the speed of light in a straight line. You're not bending space time at all. So that's why the speed of light is our, our limit in our universe. But there's nothing in that that says that space-time itself or the trampoline can't move faster than the speed of light. We're just talking about masses on space-time. So warp technology is this idea that you build a bubble of space-time around your ship and then that propels you faster than the speed of light. Um, What you mentioned there at the end was more like jump drives that we see in in some other franchises where you you say, I'm here, I want to go there, so I'm going to bend that to me, I'm going to jump, and then that's Oh, okay. And they're all wrong because there are other franchises. They're wrong. Yeah. We don't spend any time talking about this at all. They're not (laughs) worth our time. (laughs) Can I ask a dumb question? No such thing, but yes, absolutely. So when you say the bending of space time are like, let's say you look at a a meter in space, like the length of a meter and you're bending it is, is the actual length of the meter getting bent. So, so you're not really experiencing it. It's just, bending. Yeah. And that's one of the hardest things to wrap your mind around because we talk about that a lot with gravitational waves, because what we were trying to detect is the space time doing that as so black holes collide, send all these ripples out and they pass through the earth and it literally compresses and expands all of space time. And we have these detectors on the surface of the earth that are like L-shaped. And so as a, as a gravitational wave, as space-time distortions pass by, one arm gets shorter, one arm gets longer. And we can detect those changes because we're sending light down in both directions. Um, that's the very quick elevator explanation of it. But it is, it's hard to wrap your mind around. How yes. Are you, how are you measuring it? If the measuring thing is also getting. Yeah. So that's, that's really, and so it has to do with how uh, the wavelengths are, are compared against each other. Um, and there is, cause that's where people ask, well, is the speed of light actually changing? And I, there is an explanation for this and I am not very good at distilling it into less than like a 15 minute <laughs> explanation, but there is a great article that someone wrote that explains why, um, you know, all if if the arm is getting shorter here and the arm is getting shorter here, 
then the light and everything is being distorted. So how are we detecting it anyways? Is a totally valid question. Um, and there's a whole article I'll post on my Twitter and I'll send you guys the cool. link because yeah, it will derail this entire conversation. <laughs> that, is, that is an excellent question. I apologize. I, no, I will, it's okay. That, see, see what you did, Josh. You <laughs> said, oh, I have a dumb question. And then boom. It's okay. a brilliant question. That, yes, that is, that is awesome. Valid. Yeah. That's all I can yeah. do is come up with the questions. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that's like the guy who shows up at karaoke and says, like, oh, I've never done this before. And then <laughs> just does an amazing like job that. and you're like no. oh, i have a dumb question and then boom yeah. <laughs> okay yeah one of the most nuanced detailed well-observed questions when it comes okay. to gravitational waves <laughs> you just asked <laughs> Um, by the way, some very interesting stuff being discussed right now in the chat. Um, and, and there's one that uh, David has mentioned here that is um, something that I had heard about. He's actually heard about this on a podcast the other day. So he wants to talk about ion propulsion. Uh, I heard a, a discussion the other day on a show about nuclear-powered spacecraft uh, where you can really uh, cut down. I think ion would theoretically be faster, but nuclear-powered spacecraft... Uh, you're still cutting in half what we can do now with chemical rockets. Uh, so these are all very interesting things to get into. And I, I kind of want to steer that a slightly different way, Aaron, because what you're talking about, all this, the, the sort of fun, sexy stuff is like bending space time and creating warp bubbles. And all. But I, I want to know what are the things that, what are the things that are exciting you about sort of the next, leaps in exploration, the next leaps in, in scientific breakthrough, because you're pessimistic about Mars, but here are two things that are being developed right now that hopefully could actually cut that trip down. Um, so are there things that are just on the horizon, just, you know, maybe a generation away that you go like, oh yeah, that's a cool next step. Then hopefully we get to warp drive or, or whatever else. Yeah, no, it's a really good question. I think when it comes to ion drives, it's important to note that both ion engines as well as nuclear power are used in space today. When we're sending spacecraft out, um, I think the Dawn spacecraft, which went to explore the, the asteroid belt, used an ion engine. Now, we hear ion engine and it sounds cool and sci-fi and space battle type stuff. It is very slow and not entertaining at all. Like, because all it is, is it's just <laughs> spitting out like ions out the back of your spacecraft. And that's a force. So you have, you know, action and reaction. You spit an ion out that way and the spacecraft moves a little bit. You spit another right. one, it moves a little bit and nothing's slowing it down. So, um, but you can't turn super fast or make cool moves. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's, but it's used. And, and the more we invest in that, absolutely. And the nuclear power, you know, we had, what was that last? Was that, oh, it was well over a year ago. Um, the dust storm that encompassed all of Mars that knocked opportunity out of commission opportunity. Um, mm -hmm. It went out because it relied on solar power, but Curiosity continues to go because it's, it uses nuclear power. So although it has some solar panels, it is still powered by nuclear technology. So Curiosity will be able to continue working even if there are these big massive solar storms or um, wind storms on Mars. So those are still two technologies that we're using today and just continue to develop that are exciting and cool and make space more accessible. Um, the stuff that I lose my brain about is uh, when it comes to exploring our solar system is many things. I think 
I am thrilled that we have plans to go to Europa and to Titan because I think those are the two of the more most exciting places in our solar system that we need to explore more. Um, Europa, we've not really been to. You know, the Juno spacecraft is around Jupiter taking awesome pictures and awesome data. And it's, you know, passing by, but it's not landing on Europa. And there's a um, mission planned, you know, for the next decade that's going to go there. Um, and that's actually a good shot at finding life elsewhere in our solar system is under the surface of Europa. And then Titan is similar. We dropped a probe into Titan back in about 15 years ago. And it took cool pictures. We saw beneath the surface, it landed, but it wasn't meant to do anything else. It was just a lander. And so spending a, sending a spacecraft there that's going to spend significant amount of time in Titan um, is awesome. Titan's one of the coolest, just awesome. Just when I mean, that like uh, Kelvin movie, when the Enterprise comes out of Titan's atmosphere, I cry every time. <laughs> uh, okay, that is a great shot. That's that a great shot. Great. But you're talking about Europa, and and we got a message though that says all these worlds are yours except Europa. Attempt no landing there. Mm. <laughs> There's a big black square there. It's yeah, like rectangle. And it, it happened like nine years ago. The year I know, we made it happened contact, nine years okay? ago. Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just saying. <laughs> So what about right. Enceladus? That's not cool? Like Enceladus, big... okay, yeah. Enceladus is also <laughs> awesome. So it's like Europa. It's an ice moon, and it's going around Saturn, but it isn't as churned as Europa is because Europa is next to Jupiter, and it's one of the Galilean moons, so it's in resonance with um, uh, the other moons that are, the other major moons that are going around Jupiter. So it gets churned a lot. That's why we see these huge cracks down the side of it that mm. then water comes up and forms. That all of that churning results in actually a warm ocean underneath the surface, and oh, so, so Enceladus, the, so yeah, yeah, it's not. It still has an ocean under the surface, and it still has some warmth because of the gravitational tug, but nowhere near as much as Europa does. So, mm. still valid and excellent point. Okay. I was going <laughs> to ask another follow up to that, but I know we got to go to the next thing. So. No, hey, uh, just very quickly, we're, we're a little uh, ahead of the bottom of the hour, but I, I think this is a good place because I, I want to take a, just a short pause and then welcome somebody who's been uh, holding on the line since the top of the show. Um, we don't have an ad this week, but I do want to give a shout out to uh, a couple of products um, and, and one person. Uh, Chris Riker was kind enough to send us a copy of his book, Come to Eventide, come to eventide.com. We did a little more full ad for that a few weeks ago, but Chris, thank you again. Thank you for your support of Mission Log and thank you for the book, uh, which you can find at come to eventide.com. And also uh, not a paid ad, but uh, these are just so cool. And I do love wine. So um, anybody who is in the uh, North Hollywood, greater LA area, I got a bottle of uh, Chateau Picard uh, 2386. Can't wait to get into that. But then the special stuff, I think you need to bring down to Ken's on Christmas, the uh, special reserve, uh, which is a, uh, an old vine Zinfandel uh, 2017, but it's got the UFP logo on it. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. Uh, so uh, the reason I mention it, I believe you still get 15% off if you use ST Wines at StarTrek.com. So the code is ST Wines to get your 15% off. And then, hey, we'll all share a toast of uh, Chateau Picard sometime on air, maybe. We'll see. Um, I mentioned at the top of the show that uh, we lost somebody uh, very important to the Star Trek family today. And uh, I had the good fortune 
of being able to meet her uh, because I work on another show here called The Trek Files that is hosted by Larry Nemechek. And uh, Larry called up his friend Dorothy Fontana one day and said, come on down to Roddenberry and let's talk about Trek. And uh, we dug up some amazing documents, memos, uh, things that either she had written or one of my favorites, Larry, was actually a, um, it was a fan letter written the day after This Side of Paradise aired, an episode that she wrote. Mm-hmm. That fan letter shows up, I mean, literally the day after, and that, uh, that letter shows up at the uh, Star Trek production offices. Here it is more than 50 years later, and we're showing her that fan letter about that episode that she wrote. She'd, she'd never seen that letter before. It went to Jean and, you know, gets filed away. So, ladies and gentlemen, we're welcoming uh, Dr. Trek himself, Larry Nemechek, uh, to check in with us and, uh, you know, just uh, say a few words and acknowledge uh, Dorothy's contribution. Yeah. Yeah. And thanks, John, for having me in. I Just for a few minutes, because I know this is, uh, hey, Aaron, it's Aaron's <laughs> night and Josh is doing great. So, um, yeah, it's, and you know, I mean, my gosh, today on Trek Files, our episode this week was David Gatreau, who played Commander Branch, but was supposed to play Zahn in a whole different, you know, configuration. We had this great 40th anniversary week set up. And as happens, you know, news happens. And uh, Dorothy, wow, it just, I'm almost sitting here wondering if um, in, in our social media era, if maybe Leonard's passing has hit at least, I don't, you know, I won't go as wide mm-hmm. with ma- media, but in fandom, if maybe Dorothy's uh, passing has hit people hard. Because, and I, and I always am concerned and I always do my part to make sure that Hey, I'm right there for discovery and Picard and be excited. And I reserve the right to critique, but I'm excited about everything. But I always also want to make sure that everybody continues to know what the foundation stones were, right? And where things come from. And my God, discovery goes right back to Sarek and Amanda and Spock, which Dorothy created, right? With yeah. Journey to Babel. Yeah. And so, so much of, you know, it's like, so Dorothy is there creating core root star trek that is the reason for the popularity of the thing that all those people mostly women got off on in their fan fiction and created their zines that led to clubs that led to cons that led to hello comic-con culture today okay (laughs) bang you can put dorothy right in the middle of that as well as star trek but she's also someone that started off you know, as a secretary, before they were assistants even, they were secretaries, and she worked with Sam Peoples, and she's in that soup of the creativity of early, which we've gotten into on the Trek Files, which are some of my favorite ones, talking about Sam Peoples and some of the threads that led to Star Trek. So here's somebody who worked in the industry as a girl that showed up in L.A. because that's what she wanted to do, and she's a woman in the late 50s, early 60s doing this. And she yeah. comes out of the secretarial pool and she fi- climbs her way, should have been advanced much faster than she would have been. Goes by DC, right? Not Dorothy. But she's there for early TV for the people that she worked with and Gene and the roots of Star Trek. And then what she did for Star Trek and then... The animated series yes. is the yeah. guts of the animated series are due to Dorothy, even though nobody bothered to tell Filmation, apparently, at times. Because <laughs> <laughs> right, yes. isn't this just another little Saturday morning cartoon? Yeah. No, this is a Star Trek. 
And then to come full circle back around and be invited back by Gene for the roots of next generation. And even Pete Fields and Ira for the first season and Mike Pillar for the beginnings of DS9. And she pitched Dax when no one knew what the hell exactly symbionts and trills are. You know, she's just amazing. But maybe most of all is what she's done. What What really struck me today and what you touched on when she came in for the Trek Files. A, we're so blessed that she was still with us until today. Because we had her on the last episodes just in May, mm-hmm. which is, I was looking at dates today. Yeah. And I, you know, it's like today she passed and it was like, wow, how spoiled I, she was just this direct pipeline to 1964. You know, everyone else has passed. David, Gerald worked in those times. There's very few of the original series that we're losing the first season, next generation, the roots people are almost all passed. So it's like we were so spoiled to have this, you know, pick up the phone, text her, email. Hey, Dorothy, you know, I do my column in the magazine and somebody had a qu- shout out to Stephen Austin. What, you know, was, was D looking, was he breaking the fourth wall in the tag of Journey to Babel? Or what was that? Was anybody upset with that? Or was that a decision? Of, you know, it's like, I'll ask Dorothy because she's here and it was her show. And it's like, oh, I can't. Yeah do that anymore and, and what i love is that when she was here in the office um and she uh, she was 80 years old uh um that her memory she would say that it wasn't great she was like, oh you know these are things that happened 50 years ago but you'd hand her a document and she would just rattle off like oh yeah this happened and this happened and i talked to that guy and this happened mm-hmm. i mean she was just right there with it and and fantastic uh recall of everything that was going on she was so uh, direct and right. no nonsense. And I just, I love the idea. Of course, I, I only met her on those occasions that she came here to record the Trek files. Uh, neither of us were there back in the day when TOS is being put, being put together. But when you meet somebody like her and you get, a sense, per, yeah, you get a sense yeah. of the personality and you can just go like, oh, okay, now I get it. Now, now, now I get that this was the... Um, the production office might have been the chaos nonsense of the boys club, but this is somebody who's holding it together. <laughs> this is somebody who is actually doing incredibly hard work and, and doing this tremendous creative output. Uh, and, and we have so much to uh, thank her for, uh, for her contributions to track. Yeah. Unflappable comes to mind, but you also get a sense of in that boys club and you read about, you know, how crazy, Crazy fun. Maybe some mm-hmm. today would go, hmm, that skirts the, you know, uh, right. in the, what, how, whatever lens you're looking at the 60s with today. Yeah. But you see this, you know, all the shenanigans, you know, who's the mistress in the office today? And what are, mm-hmm. the, what are the boys pulling, you know? And here's unflappable Dorothy. And, and at the same time, being a survivor and being the one that keeps peace among all the camps. At the yeah. same time. Yeah. She's a woman in the early 60s pulling herself by, by her bootstraps. Yeah. And, and, you know, and yes, she should have been a producer, not a story editor and all of that. And, and she went away from Next Generation's first season a little feeling a little burned and did not want to talk about it. But she's the one that's there trying to keep peace when there's chaos on the bridge first year of Next Generation. Yeah. But even, you know... As the years passed, when I first wrote the Next Gen Companion, she did not want to talk about those years, only five, five, six years. But thankfully, it's been more than five, six years now, and she did. She opened up, and she has shared. She taught at AFI 
She was on the boards for Writers Guild on several committees. I mean, she you know worked for her craft. She won some awards. She run she won writing awards. She has a couple of uh, guild awards, I think. But she was such a you know, on top of being a professional and a class act, <laughs> just with people. She was a sharer and a mentor for for writers. And, for, you know, she would go to, to cons large and small from the 70s to today when she could and, you know, share with fans. I know I've, I've know people. I know people across the country have stories, especially just in the last few years when, you know, sometimes people wake up and they go, oh, a treasure. I need to hurry up and treasure this before it's too late. Yeah. And I know people have those just in the last few years. But what a as she was with us, what a sharer, you know. What and and happy to do it, but yes, very direct and on the nose, and you can see why you can see why she lived long and prospered when she had yeah. that you know kind of quality. And I, and again, I just almost felt like I I was chiding myself for feeling so spoiled that I just you know she'll just be here forever. We'll just always be yeah. able to pick up a phone and ask her what was going on in 1964. And right, you know. Right. Yeah, we can't. Well, uh, tonight after the show, I'm going to go home and watch Planet of the Amazon Women, episode from season one of Buck Rogers in the 25th Century, written by DC Fontana. That is my tribute. So, uh, Larry, thank you so much. Uh, uh, great to have you on. Thanks, guys. Share a little uh, little insight. Let's get together uh, on that. Uh, hey, oh How yeah, now I we're get talking on that. Oh, <laughs> I, hey, come on, you know where the office is. Come on down. Let's let's make this happen. Yep. All right. Anyway, Cheers. thanks, John. I, I'm glad you got to got to have a few minutes to talk about Dorothy. It's all you know. It's kind of taken over today. So thank um, you very much, and thank you to our guest for uh, indulging us to do that for a minute. Oh, and, and by the way, again, yeah. not to sound too uh, uh, crassly promotional about this, but uh, we did list the episodes with Dorothy in them on the Trek Files page. So facebook.com slash the Trek Files. They're just all in, in order in a row there. So you can check those out if you like. Right. Um, Thanks, John. Trek well. All right. Till next time. <laughs> Have fun, guys. <laughs> we will thank you. I know. Bye, Larry. So, all right. We, uh, Josh, I know, and, and thank you, Aaron, and thank you, Josh, and uh, uh, thanks to the folks who are, are watching who had asked about Dorothy and uh, some really nice uh, comments here. Carlos saying Dorothy will always be with us, certainly through her uh, fantastic writing and contributions to, uh, to the entertainment that we love. Yeah. Uh, now, Josh, yes. I know there, you have a burning question. I have a burning question, guests. and it does yes. not have anything not, to do with Enceladus. And it is not a dumb question. That's, yeah, we've established those don't come out of Josh's <laughs> Right. <laughs> so, Josh, now I get to indulge you. All right. Ask our guest. So, Aaron, this is my question. <clears throat> I want to know, I know this has been asked before, but I, I, I kind of want to, if you can help us walk through what would happen. But, like, what would happen if you, you know, flew your ship, navigated your ship into a black hole? And, right. And I, and I, and let's, I think it would be good to, to walk through it slowly because I think we've, we've heard about the spaghettification, but like if we can just go, let's, let's imagine what it would be like. Cause I, I think that's, uh, I want to know what, what would I physically be, be experiencing? So <laughs> as, as it's happening, right. Until the bitter end, this is, this is what I'd like to know. It's going to get really dark, really let's fast. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's the internet. Nobody cares. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're right. Um, yeah, no, I, it's, it's interesting. Cause you're right. Like there, a lot of people kind of 
heard black holes, seen, you know, the sort of diagram, what it, what it looks like is this giant funnel, um, and have heard maybe the term spaghettification, which is up there as one of the greatest technical phrases of all time. <laughs> uh, but, you know, really thinking about what gravity is and what it means that when you have a black hole, essentially it's just a really deep gravity well. We talk about escape velocity and, you know, when rockets, we know that the hardest thing about going into space is just getting off the surface of the earth. And a lot of it's, that's just our gravity well. We have a high escape velocity to crawl out of that well to go into space. And so if you have a more massive object, it's going to have a steeper gravity well and a higher escape velocity. And you get more and more massive and your trampoline goes dips further and further and you have a higher and higher escape velocity. It's harder to crawl out of. Eventually, you're going to reach the point that your escape velocity is the speed of light. And so not even light is going to be able to escape. The escape velocity is too great. And that's what a black hole is. And so that kind of addresses a lot of misconceptions people have, especially when we see cool black hole news, which we see a lot of these days. There's just amazing astronomy done uh, surrounding black holes right now. But, you know, I get text messages all the time that are like, oh my God, there's a black hole found in our galaxy. Is it going to consume us all? It's, it's not because black holes aren't vacuums. They're just really steep gravity wells. If our sun turned into a vac, uh, turned into a black hole, we'd, other than the lack of sunlight, be fine because we would just continue orbiting like the normal gravity well that it is. And so that's important to think about, first of all. So you have a really steep gravity well as you're starting to fall into a black hole. Uh, you have this huge stretch of space-time. And it's important to remember that space and time is being stretched when you have a steep gravity well. So the space stretching is the spaghettification. And that's when you reach the point where the gravity at your feet is greater than the gravity at your head, that the stretch is so much that you start to feel it and you start to get spaghettified. <laughs> wait, 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 yeah. let's, let's back up a little bit. So, yeah. so we're, so we're going to do this slowly. We're, just, we're way too fast at <laughs> okay, the identification okay, okay. already. All right. So you're in the ship. Yep. You're, you're going into the black hole. At first, what are we feeling? We're not, what, what, what are we feeling? Before we we hit the event horizon, we're just kind of what? We're feeling fine, but the people around us are going, are they going slower? (laughs) Mm. We're still experiencing time normally, but our time and time from the observers is starting to dilate. And so it looks like we're starting to move very, very slowly. Um, And that starts to get more and more extreme. And what we're seeing in front of us, this event horizon, that's the point at which you can't get out. That's where the escape velocity becomes greater than the speed of light. We're seeing the remnants of all the light that has just about escaped. (laughs) So everything that was just on the verge of getting out, we're seeing that. And uh, as we're falling in. Um, So what does that look like? What what does that look like? The, The remnants of all the light that hasn't escaped what do we think that looks like? It looks red. <laughs> because every, because um, as light gets stretched from a gravitational well, it goes through, it's essentially the Doppler shift. When people learn about the Doppler shift, red shift and blue shift, they hear about that from sound or from motion. But the same thing happens, so, you know, light, if something moving away from us, it's like they're holding a slinky and we're holding with the other end, and it gets stretched out, and that's called redshifting. But then the same thing happens when the light is 
being pulled into a black hole. So all these wavelengths start to get stretched out. And so it's all getting stretched out across the whole electromagnetic spectrum, but everything's moving in the direction. If you have blue up here and red down here, high frequency, low frequency, everything's moving in this direction. So it's going to be a lot of red light. And it's going to, as we're falling in, start to consume all of us. Because remember, it's not like we're falling in like this. It's that it's three-dimensional. And this is where most people get a headache and are getting up from their <laughs> monitors to go get a drink, which is okay. <laughs> Wait, so it, but, but it's red. So you're seeing red. It's getting redder as you're heading towards the... It, yeah, and it's starting okay. to consume all around you. Um, now, I'm going to pause because, again, I'm just saying, like, it's not that we're falling down in sure. trouble. So it's not like we're seeing it beneath us. When we think of gravitational wells, that help, that's easier for us to visualize. A more three-dimensional image of this is imagine like mattress springs and I stick my hand in and I grab them and my hand is the mass and all the springs are stretching toward my hand in all directions. That's really what like a more higher dimensional gravitational well looks like. So a black hole as seen in, in interstellar, actually interstellar is the best, most accurate depiction of a black hole. Wait a minute, not Disney's the black hole. Because Believe I'm waiting. <laughs> okay, because I'm waiting for Vincent and Bob to make a heroic escape, and I'm assuming already Maximilian has killed Anthony Perkins, and there's Earl with old Bob on a stick. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I wish all of you at home could see that. Yep. All right. <laughs> yeah. Just making sure. All right. So interstellar, yes. Black hole, no. Even though black hole's got Robert Forster, whatever. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but because it because it is all three dimensional and. Um, and so it's kind of hard to picture that. But yeah, as you're falling in, it's that you have all this red light starts to consume you and then you start to fall in, which means you are also space time dilated, space and time dilated. So oh, wait, are you feeling weightless right now? Because you're, you're just falling? No, you're starting to feel heavier and heavier, but like it depends what direction you are compared to the black hole. So if if the black hole's in front of us, like you were yeah. kind of like a spaceship, like a Volvo. <laughs> right, yeah, okay, let's do it, with Volvo. <laughs> like we're let's driving a, yeah. a car into a black hole. The front is gonna be pulled towards, so now your gravity is gonna be in this direction. Whatever fancy gravity generators you have on the ship that are keeping your feet down and your head up are now pointless because the gravity is now being pulled forward in that direction and they're outdoing the gravity generators. So your, your face is being pulled face. farther than yeah. the back of your head? Yep. And your okay. arms are going out and your face starts to go out. It's like, it's like Beetlejuice, Josh. It's like Beetlejuice. <laughs> it's like every that. nightmare cartoon that you saw when you were a kid that gave you, but, <laughs> kept you up. Okay. Okay. And then, and then okay. <laughs> so, does it stop being red at some point and start being black? Like, are we... Are, well, when, I mean, you see black when you're gone. <laughs> not you, that black. I'm talking see, about, but, but that process is taking a really long time, though. Right. And, and right. so your whole concept of... This is what I mean, that it, it gets dark in, like, a morbid way <laughs> because it's, it, it's painful and and your time, the time on your nose is now, time is going slower in your nose than it is in the back of your head. And it all just gets stretched. And again, so it's like, 
I, so let's, let's pretend, right. Instead of being, well, let's pretend I'm in the captain's chair. Cause we like that. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> and, yeah. and we yeah. have our helms helms person up in front of us. Uh-huh. Now, basically it's going to look to me like they're moving in slow motion as they're screaming their cries of pain because <laughs> I'm further away from the deep gravity well than they are. So not only is the ship like being pulled in, but it's looking like it's slowing down. And that's like why we see the death remnants of all the light around us because if we, because it does start to become slow motion and eventually it looks like time has just frozen until you just wait over that steep of a gradient, like within a ship, like within the, yeah, I mean, eventually five meters of a ship. Yeah. Are you alive at that point still? Probably not. Okay. <laughs> let's, let's, let's be honest. Um, but let's, I mean, we threw a camera in there, right? So let's, sure. let's say it's, it's, there's a camera in there instead of crying pains of death, it just gets shattered. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, there is actually a YouTube video that like a, an astrophysicist from University of Colorado Boulder did try to animate what it looks like going into a black hole. And it's, it's fairly, fairly similar to what I described. With, With the, the screams of death and the, and the stressing the out of the face? Death. Oh. It's more, okay. more astrophysics. Well, then that's but certainly the red. <laughs> <laughs> that well, sort of fisheye lens of everything being red and everything being kind of stretched out. It's, it's hard to wrap your mind around. Wow. Well, Earl says that uh, uh, this is a remarkably accurate <laughs> description of when I had my wisdom teeth pulled. So, <laughs> this, yeah. So, well done. <laughs> Well done. I like that. Um, hey, I w- want to tell you, I, that was crazy. That was so awesome. we're going to take just a, uh, uh, just a second here to uh, tell people what they can find on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Uh, because it, it's a thing, as I mentioned before, there's a guy, he had a, had a thing. Uh, we call it a podcast network, and there are other shows there. So, uh, Josh, if you'll do the honors. Yeah, there's Mission Log, which, which this is Mission Log Live. Oh, there's, I've heard of both of those. Yes, that's John is the host of those. Uh, there's Priority One Podcast, and they have a live show on Tuesday nights from uh, at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Uh, Eastern. Uh, that, uh, Priority One is sort of a magazine-style show. It's everything in the Star Trek multiverse, uh, what's happening in that world. Yeah. Then there's Women at Warp. Uh, aha, you may be asking, Women at Warp, what's that all about? Well, it, it's uh, Star Trek through a feminist lens, or, as I've heard before, feminism through a Star Trek lens. You take your pick. And there's the Trek Files, which you just heard from Larry, who's the host of that. We sure did. Uh, a deep dive into Gene's drawers. What? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's the Daily Star Trek News. Oh, okay. I can break so that one down for you. Yeah. So, uh, Daily means that that happens uh, every week. Once a week. Sorry, yeah. daily. You're right. Yeah, daily, daily. Uh, Star Trek. That's, so that's Star Wars. Right, exactly. And news, not fake news. Old news. stuff. Yes. <laughs> right. Nailed it. Perfect. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> and then there's our show, which is Shabam. Shabam. Yeah. Which uh, is a, it's a fictional narrative that uses uh, real science to uh, explain uh, concepts that you see in sci-fi. It's like you've heard it before. Yes. Yes. I've heard it many times. Very good. I've heard it when it it wasn't a thing yet. (laughs) Nice. 
And you can hear all of those at podcast.roddenberry.com. You can subscribe wherever you pick up podcasts. Uh, iTunes would be one of those or Apple Podcasts. Sorry, now they've changed it. Uh, so Apple Podcasts or podcast.roddenberry.com. Link to each of those and subscribe to uh, one or all. I hope the answer is all. Grab them all. Podcast.roddenberry.com. Um, I mentioned to you both and to Earl that we have had some great questions from our audience tonight. And uh, I have to mention one here, uh, John, who a little earlier said, Aaron, can you confirm that Dr. McCoy was right to prefer the shuttlecraft and that the transporter is just a genocide machine <laughs> asking for a friend? Yes. Thanks. I want to know the answer to this question. <laughs> yep. I mean, if you're going to give me an option, I'll probably take the shuttlecrafts. And yeah. The reason, so Star Trek canon contradicts itself when it comes to the transporter. Wait a minute. Star Trek canon contradicts itself? Believe it or not. <laughs> I know. I know. Okay. So I have dove deep into the world of transporters <laughs> to try to figure out and explain how they work. Star Trek has used different explanations over the years. One is that as... Hoshi described reasonably, um, it's going to kill me and then make, <laughs> and then move me and then remake me. So that's the idea that it breaks down all of your particles, moves the particles and rebuilds the particles into you. And the other explanation is that it kills you. All of that mm -hmm. goes back into the replicator system the data about where everything was is mapped and then you get built out of other stuff. And so we see different explanations over time. Some result in two Rikers, others result in people being held in data patterns until when they crash into a Dyson sphere. So we see these like different explanations. And that's why yes. I love this is good. This is good. Exactly yeah. what I was talking about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, regardless, though, the main issue, and I, the reason this is the reason I love talking about transporters and why I've dove so deep into these, is because um, the reason we can't have transporters now is because of Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, which states you can never know exactly where a particle is. It's just the more you start to zoom in and zoom in and zoom in and learn exactly where it is, the less you know about its motion and it's, it could be anywhere. So it's this Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, um, which prevents us because if you're going to break all of this down and rebuild it, I want you to know exactly where every single particle is. Um, and, but Star Trek brilliantly <laughs> acknowledges this by having a component of the transporter called the Heisenberg Compensator. So yeah, until, <laughs> until I see and fully understand how a Heisenberg Compensator works, I'm going to be taking the shuttlecraft. <laughs> okay. I get, but, but here's the thing. that Here's the paradox of the transporter, right? So at once, to John's point, yes, it, it, it is a killing machine. It, it is a thing that either tears you apart at an atomic level and shoots those particles to another place and puts them back together. Uh, so during even that fraction of a second that you've been torn apart, you are no longer you. You are gone. You cease to exist. The brain stops functioning. The mind is the, the product of the brain. You're gone. Okay. Or it tears you apart and those atoms just go scattered and somebody comes along and makes a, a, a cup of tea and a burrito in the replicator 
and that's the particles that the day before were you, okay? Uh, so, yeah, uh, uh, so either way, you're dead at a certain point, but you get rebuilt on the other end. So the paradox is it is killing you. However, this is an immortality machine because you can keep making you and you wouldn't know the difference. Well, until, that version of you, right? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, until a guy named Tom shows up and F's off. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> okay, so barring creating a clone who's, right. you know, wasted eight years of his life. And, right. And uh, still has the hots for his ex-girlfriend. Yeah. Which is funny, because you could think of, like, this whole... Because the whole fundamental principle of, like, chaos theory is, like, tiny variants in your starting conditions. And so this idea that every time you're transported you have a little bit of a variance in your conditions of where you're at. So if you, that's why if you do have multiples of you, one could be good and one could be evil or at least problematic. Yeah. <laughs> no, you just, you just yeah. install the chaos compensator. Right. <laughs> the de-chaoticizer. Right. No, we have to, we have to techno babble it. So it's like the nonlinear compensate, nonlinear dynamics compensator. Yeah. There we go. Just turn that on. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, but I mean, this philosophically, that was exactly what Hoshi was talking about in the Enterprise, like why she would refuse to get in the transporter. She was just like, yeah, no, like I will cease to exist. Who am I at that point? Do I have those memories and, or are they just being reprogrammed into my brain? Valid, all valid questions. Well, but, but we are, we are, we're just meat computers full of programming anyway. So yes, look, if you, can, if, you can, if you can get me to Paris faster than a 10-hour flight um, I, and I just have to deal with the existential dread that I might have died along the way. And no, this no, really you won't isn't be in me. Paris. You will not be in Paris. You, the, the copy of John Champion will be. Everyone uh, will think it's you, but but you but, but the copy doesn't know the difference because the copy has an exact neural uh, copy of everything that happened uh, in this noggin right here. That's and true. if we go with the first explanation, you will actually be there. It's just at some point your brain was completely shredded and then put back together again. Right. Well, hey, that's you know every weekend given that a chance. That happens in Paris you know. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shred the brain. <laughs> Come on. That sounds great. Don't threaten me with a good time. Um, yeah, I, it, that's, I, I, it's so weird to me that in Star Trek, like either way you slice it, because we, we've gotten so many emails and, and people have done very extensive like YouTube videos and, and deep dive discussions into this. Like either way it's killing you. I, either way it is making you cease to function as you are. It's not just like, oh, you go to sleep for a minute. I kind of think about, uh, Aaron, since you're a Voyager fan, I'm a big fan of the episode Mortal Coil, um, where Neelix dies yeah. and he doesn't go to the Great Forest. And then he comes back and he has this existential crisis because he realizes, okay, when I died, everything just stopped. Yeah. And and I had no consciousness. I was not aware. And then he has to actually come up with uh, a sort of um, uh, his own reason for being. He had to realize that it wasn't about this promise of an afterlife. It was about it's about being himself in his, in this living moment. That that's really the value of his life. Yeah. Um, now you're saying that everybody who goes through a transporter has to deal with that every, every single time. Right. Well, yeah. and yeah, first, that is a brilliant episode. Like, underrated. it's a 
really yeah. complex like episode that kind of yeah it breaks your heart a little bit depending on your opinion of neelix <laughs> but, uh, but it's, a, it's a really well-written episode yeah. and and it's absolutely true and maybe it's just the fact that like once transporters are invented as long as because we talk about that too right if your brain doesn't know what's going on if you just like it you know blacks out you wake up it's like you blinked yeah and yeah. you're somewhere else that's easier for us to wrap our minds around as long as, or at least it's easier for us to have the cognitive dissonance that like, okay, I'm still me, you know? Cause it just, it's instantaneous. Whereas I think like, you know, with Neelix and especially because he was, you know, what they said, like right when he came out, it was like, he was dead for what? 20 like minutes. 18 or, hours. It, no, yes. It was hours and hours. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. been old. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't have that one memorized. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, that you know, they said that even though it might have felt instantaneous, you were out for a very long time, and that mm -hmm. does, and you can think that that's kind of the same crisis that um, that Scotty goes through in the episode with the Dyson Sphere. That you know, he comes out of the transporter that he was stored as a pattern data pattern buffer, and even though it's like he's not having a crisis of the afterlife, he's still having a crisis of like so much time having passed and what his existence means. Right. Um, that that yeah, maybe we all just like give ourselves some nice happy cognitive distance about transporters as long as it's fast <laughs> but but is the problem still of the continuity of your consciousness right like you yes you come out and that that person that entity still has your thoughts and your memories and you know all these these crises that they're thinking of but like the consciousness going in does it connect to the one coming out because yeah. if it doesn't then you're dead and the but other person... see, that's a question that you ask people who study brains and squishy things, yeah, not people right. who I, do. I'm math. just saying. All right, next time we're getting, we're getting a squishy thing expert to come in on the uh, yeah, exactly. on upcoming episode of uh, Mission Log Live. Hey, uh, I, I hate that we are out of time, Aaron. It, it is always such a pleasure to talk to you. It's yes, so much this was fun. awesome. We don't get to do this nearly enough, uh, uh, virtually or in person. So thank you, thank you, thank you, and Josh. Thanks for uh, being the co-host tonight. Thank you for inviting me. I had a good time. I had a lot of uh, dumb questions that I'm glad I got uh, answered. <laughs> I, I bet you got more. I did. There's more questions, but we don't have, we only have an hour. So, uh, All right. Well, then uh, clearly there needs to be a next time. So I'm, thank I'm you both. I'm ready. And for those of you who are listening or watching, remember next week, uh, my guest will be Dan Curry, the visual effects maestro of the Berman era Trek. So join us next week, Tuesday, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern for Dan Curry, special guest on Mission Log Live. And until then, Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Technical production on Mission Log Live is by the unflappable Earl Green. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, including not just Mission Log and Mission Log Live, but Women at War, Priority One, The Trek Files, Daily Star Trek News, and Shabam. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, head on over to patreon.com slash mission log. Thank you to everyone who joined us live or later. We will talk to you next week. podcast.roddenberry.com, the Roddenberry Podcast Network.